Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just $36.80. Joshua, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. <laughs> Great. Um, I had a question about uh, LED lights. I'm on- I'm building an apartment and uh, uh-huh. redoing all the all the electrical and everything. And I'd I'd like to go back with LED, but I'm only finding a few fixtures that are just LED, and everything else is that I find is is retrofit type stuff where you you plug you plug a you plug a thing into a into a light socket. And uh, I'm wondering if there's a benefit to the and and if there's a, a supplier where I can find if there is a benefit to not retrofitting and if there's a supplier that has more than I, just one. I'll tell you what, let me, I've got the guy from LED for Home sitting right here next to me. Let me bring him on. But my main problem is I'm not finding any, uh, I'm wondering what the advantages are to, to not retrofitting, if there are any, and uh, if so, where, where could I find those fixtures? Because I only find, like at Home Depot, I only find like one one canister that's that's just LED, and everything else well, is a uh, is hey John, a when you guys type. came out and did my house, we just retrofitted my existing fixtures with LED. Yeah, that's right, uh, Joshua. I, I'm curious to know what uh, what makes you decide to do uh, to change the fixture versus just putting a LED bulb in what you currently have. Uh, th- there are there are no fixtures in there right now. In fact, there's there's a whole bunch of fluorescents from 1960s. And uh, I'm just I'm redoing everything. He's got so, it in this place uh, and rebuilding it. Gotcha. All the, all the way. Okay. To the, all the way to the breaker box. Go ahead. Sorry, we're adjusting the mic here. So uh, yeah, that uh, that makes more sense. So, um, what kind of uh, lighting are you looking to put in? Are you looking for can lighting or um, a chandelier or what kind of lighting are you looking for exactly? Because Home Depot, Lowe's, those places have a lot of um, LED cans. Um, and in fact, you don't even have to get a bulb for it. It all just comes together in one package. Um, and it's kind of like a lens, LED lens. Um, that could go into where you'd put like a can fixture. Uh, there's a lot of options for that. Um, I put one of those in for my mom down in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she had a fluorescent uh, light in the kitchen. And I took it down and, and she had this uh, LED light she wanted to put up. And yeah, it just has the little... Uh, couple lines of the little buttons on it and pop it up in the yeah that's usually the easiest way especially for a do-it-yourself project uh, because that way you don't have to mess with as much when you know as opposed to a traditional can which takes a lot more um, a lot more work than that so for a can that's what I would recommend Uh, Home Depot Lowe's all the big box stores will have that Um, so that's that'd be a recommendation for cans Um, and then for the other um, you know, if you're looking for a chandelier or something or any other kind of lighting, really, you could put in almost anything that Home Depot or Lowe's has. An LED bulb is going to work in there. And, yeah. just, and just replace it with LED bulbs. Exactly. Yeah, you don't typically need a, a special fixture just for LED bulbs. When you when you do those replacements, uh, when the, the type that's a retrofit, is there is it a, does it use more electricity? Does it burn out sooner? Than the, than the type that are just made for LED? 
Um, the I'm not. So, are you asking if the can that the LED retrofit can uses more electricity, or if the traditional can uses more electricity? He's asking if if you're using a traditional, uh, like we did at my mm -hmm. house, where we just yeah. changed out the bulbs. Are they, one, going to be using more power than if we'd bought just a, stand, a regular LED fixture, and two, does it burn the bulbs out sooner? No, it's uh, it's not going to use any more power. It's going to use the same amount of wattage and same power. Because that's that, dictated uh, by the bulb itself. Exactly, yeah. So the you won't have, uh, it won't be using any more power. And uh, secondly, in terms of burning out, no, you'll get about the same life out of both of them. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, sir. That's what I need you to bet. know. Joshua, good luck Josh. with that. Thank you. And, have and, a great day. And, you know, the, the nice thing is the LED is going to outlast, definitely, I mean, way outlast incandescent bulbs, but it outlasts the fluorescence by a lot as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you'll, uh, in LEDs, you know, there's a lot of uh, factors that go into why fluorescence and incandescence go out. The most common one, especially in apartments or, or homes where you're just walking into a room and turning a switch on, the more you turn that switch on and off, uh -huh. the less life you'll get out of an incandescent. Um, but with an LED, you can sit there and turn that switch on and off as much as you want, and it doesn't affect the life of the LED. I'm glad my kids are older because I don't, <laughs> they don't have to sit there and flip that switch up and down now just because you told them they could. Yep, yeah, so, that, uh, so that's, that's a big reason that LEDs last longer. All righty. Greg, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey there, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Well, I got a couple questions for you. I was listening to you when you were talking to the LED light man. Okay. And we've got we've got some ceiling fans in our house that have the smaller look like Christmas light bulbs. Uh huh. And they just do not put out enough light. And what oh I yeah, you got what the, you like the candelier type bulbs in them. Yeah, they yeah they're kind of shaped like a real nice looking Christmas tree light and they just don't yep. put out the light and I've noticed uh, they're Hampton Bay and I've noticed there's these ceiling light kits that you can add on to fans that don't have lights that are actually LED is that a good idea or well you can do that but you could just change the bulbs out on what you got okay but I mean those smaller bulbs will they put out a whole lot of light well let's hang on a second John, okay. I, got, I got John here from uh, oh, LED for Home again, and John, you're hearing his question. He's got the smaller bulbs. The LED has stuff that can put out some deep, some good light with that, don't they? Absolutely. So LEDs are naturally going to be a little bit brighter than what you have just by, you know, if you put just some random LED in there, it's going to be a little brighter than your incandescent already. Um, but with LEDs, one of the benefits is the different color temperatures so if you got a 2700 see now uh, you're getting into where i said you, these guys when they i start talking a hue of color and it, it's <laughs> it, it's dimmer or brighter and you're getting into the complicated but go ahead so <laughs> to make it simpler if you got a uh, a soft white that's what a lot of people like in their home that's going to be that 2700 kelvin that's going to be a more yellow light, but it's not necessarily going to be super bright to be more right. homey. So in, th in your situation, what I'd recommend is getting a high lumen output, and lumen is just the amount of light that you know is being put out that 
we're perceiving is being put out at least. And so, uh, if you got like a higher lumen output light, maybe 3000 Kelvin, which is just a step up from that soft white, you're going to okay. see a very noticeable difference. Um, it's going to put off a really nice light, but not too bright. Um, and so I would recommend something like that. Uh, they have it um, in a candelabra base, which is what I'm assuming you have in there already. Um, yeah, I have three and so, bulbs, so that would be putting out, say, about 9,000 lumens you're saying? Well, the, so bulbs. the color... The color temperature and the lumens are two different things, um, but as you go higher in color temperature, you also go higher in lumen output. And so, um, see, we're all used to just seeing lumens on stuff. We mm -hmm. this Calvin stuff doesn't to, to the most of us we don't so you, understand that. Yeah, so you could get a lumen output that's going to be um, if you got somewhere in the 500 to 800 range, you it would noticeably put off, you know, a very bright light. And so. Okay. Um, if you got like a 3,000 Kelvin light putting off about three to five or five to 800 lumens, rather, I think you'll see a, a huge difference. Okay. Well, and then your website's ledforhome.com, correct? It is. And if uh, you have trouble finding anything or need additional help, just shoot us a message through there and we can uh, point you in the right direction. So I can put my wife on the phone and she can yell at you. She can, <laughs> yes. Uh, Okay. I will give you his <laughs> cell phone and that number. Because no. I'm going to be on a ladder. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all very much. I love your show. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you later. Gary, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Good afternoon, sir. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You helped me out with a plumbing leak here about, uh, about a month ago, and uh, your folks did a great job for me. I'm completely satisfied. Another thank problem... You. You've got three air conditioning units in the house. It's a, about a five-year-old home. We get this dirty sock smell syndrome. And, oh, uh, yeah. We were wondering what you or Advent Air would recommend. Uh, the people who just serviced it, uh, actually it was yesterday, yesterday afternoon, uh, were the people who installed it. And they were suggesting a UV-type uh, electronic device that you put in the ducts. I just wanted your opinion on that. Yeah, you know, that that's one of the things that can fix it, but typically that smell is being caused by a moisture issue somewhere. And so I would recommend looking for that first. And usually it's where the coils are, you know, up in the attic where the air goes across the coils to be cooled. Right. If the airflow isn't right, it'll start getting a lot of humidity in there, and that humidity will start to grow mold. And that's where you start getting that sock smell. Okay. Uh, so how would you how would you go about that, Jim? Well, as a homeowner, you really can't. As a contractor, what they should have been doing is checking the airflow to make sure that there's enough air going across those coils uh, to solve that type of problem. So I I, I hate to because normally I, I I don't like doing this, but if they're not willing to check that, you need to have another contractor out that will. Well, if you'd been around my wife yesterday, you'd know we we're going to have another contractor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have one of those, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, and you su you suggest your folks there, uh, Advent Air? Yeah, give, give Advent Air a call, and, and they can uh, get you hooked up with that. You can. Also, if... Uh, 
if the airflow is not the problem, what's your thought on the UV? Uh, well, the UV is very good for killing, uh, you know, the all bacterias and stuff that pass it. But that's when you're getting that sock smell, that you know, that wet sock smell. That's because somewhere there's a problem. So let's fix the problem instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it with the UV light. Okay, very good. I appreciate your time again. And last last effort on the plumbing was uh, we couldn't have been happier with you folks. Glad to hear it, Gary. If you need anything else, just give me a holler. Thank you very much. Sir. You bet. Bye-bye. Carlos, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Good morning. Good afternoon, rather. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Afternoon now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And raining, too. Anyway, uh, I am... Um, I'm considering to buying uh, a gutter because the gutter is in bad, bad shape. Um, I hear that the six-inch gutter is the best one because it's a bigger one than the four, two inches bigger, and so on and so forth. I went to the box stores just to get an idea of the prices, and I noticed that they don't have any downspouts that are six inches. Yeah. Is that normal? It is, is it normal, normal is it, but it, it is normal, but there should be an oversized downspout. But I will tell you, I've seen in the box source just like you that they don't typically carry it. And I'm going to tell you why. The box stores only carry stuff that they can move quickly and move a lot of it. Yeah, right. And so even though there's items that are better and would do better for people, they don't necessarily carry it if they can't move it fast and move a lot of it. Yeah, right. Well, I went to, I went to the Internet, and they don't have it in the Internet either. They have the they have the regular gutter, yep. six inches, but not the downspouts. Yeah. All right, so they just I, don't I'm going to tell them. you, I, I will be up front with you. Most of the time, to call a gutter company to come in and do the gutters, is so inexpensive. It's one of those things that's not worth doing yourself. Yeah, right. And no, they no, would... no. I'm not. I'm not doing it myself. I'm 75 okay. years old. I'm not. I'm not fooling around. Putting oh man, you don't sound that old. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to get an idea how much the price was going to be. Yeah. Point, I know how much you know. Yep. All right. So oh, the best thing is to go to a place where they where they buy it from a from a reputable gutter. Yep. Well, and a lot of the gutter companies make their own. I mean, they they have their own benders where they just feed the sheet metal through it and it bends yeah, it and, right. yeah, and makes right. their own stuff. Right, right. I went I went to I I called one came over to the house gave me an estimate. It's one of these these gutters that no leaves and so on and so forth. He wanted forty six hundred dollars. And yeah, said, you you went with either like a Leaf Guard or Gutter Max, yeah, one of those well, two. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said, there's no way I can pay, I pay that those, kind of money. Yeah, and those are extremely expensive. Now, they do very good. Don't get yeah. me wrong. They work well. Uh, but as compared to buying regular gutters, it's usually about three times what regular gutters yeah, cost. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You bet. You take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. But in an area that you got a lot of uh, problems with the leaves and, and debris and things like that, you want that type of gutter that's not going to clog up like that. And if it does, you know, they come out and take care of it for you. Now, I was talking about debris going down the pipes. Contractors, 
homeowners, whoever, listen up. When you are doing a construction project, hard materials, and I mean when you mix stuff up with water, like concrete, like mortar, like uh, grout, when you're finished, you do not wash that material down the drain lines. Clean your buckets out, clean your tools off, hose them off and everything outside. When you run that stuff down the lines, when it gets into a low area, it settles. It starts building up, it sets up, and you have plugged the line. There is no reason for that. Put it outside in the trash and haul it away. Don't send it down the sewer lines. You are guaranteed you're going to make a problem for somebody, and it's so easy to avoid. Anyways, that's my two cents on it, and and, uh, I hope that helps some people out. But again, if you're hiring contractors, don't let them do that to you. Keep an eye on them. If you catch them, you know, washing all their tools off down the sink, if it's just a, a, a little surface stuff, that's fine. But it's when they're washing off the bulk of it into the sinks that you're going to have a problem. Let's talk with Barry. Welcome to KTRH. How can I help you? In my kitchen, uh, I have this double sink, uh, and then I think I'm having um, disposable problem. When I run the disposable, it, it bucks up. You know, it, it bucks up to to other things. It's not you know uh, the drainage. You know, it's not really working right. So I, yeah, I, I like to know see if it is the disposal do i need to replace the disposal and then what do what do i need to do well how i guess first question i have is is it draining at all or is it uh just draining slow uh it, it doesn't drain at all maybe very slow so when it backs up into the other sink does it how long does it take to drain out of that sink uh, no, it, it, it doesn't. Uh, what, what we do, we just got a, a bucket and then, you know, get it out of the sink. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it, it, it runs. I mean, I can hear uh, the disposal, you know, uh, running pretty good, but it's not, it's not working. Yeah. You got a plugged line then. I don't think it's in the disposal itself. Okay. Uh, it, it sounds like there's a plugged line, and if you look underneath the sink, you'll see that the two sinks are actually tied together. The one sink drains over into the garbage disposal, and then uh, there'll be a a trap that comes off of it and goes into the wall. Yes. And if you'll undo where it goes into the wall and the P-trap, the first thing to check is see if the P-trap is holding debris in it. Yeah. Yeah, what I did, I, I did that this afternoon. I, I opened with the two... Uh, peach farm, and then I I opened it up, and it was so a lot of dirt in it, that, yep. and I cleaned it up. It, those two, it, it's really it's clean now. Okay, then you're gonna have to probably run a snake through the hole that's in the wall. Yes. And clean out that pipe because I'm sure that's where the backup is. Oh, uh, how, how can I do that? Well, uh, it's probably not very far in there. So you can probably just get one of the little hand crank snakes like at Ace Hardware or one of the box stores. And literally yeah. you, you just stick it in there and start cranking it by hand. And 
then that should open it up, and then you'll have to put it back together and see if it flows right again. Oh, you mean uh, run it through the sink or, or run it no, in, into the disposal? You're talking about disposal. No, take it, it's, it's really not going to be an issue in the disposal. Take those oh, pipes okay. off and run the snake through the hole in the wall. Okay, so how, uh, open open that thing up and, and then uh, run the snake through, or yeah, just you know, do you know how a snake works? Uh, no. Okay, it, it's a it's a long cable that has an end on it that chews up whatever's in front of it in the pipe, and so you literally start feeding that thing down through the pipe while you're cranking. Uh, you got electric ones, or you got a hand crank. I would use a hand crank on this. So I'm hand okay. cranking, turning it, and it's spinning, cutting through whatever's in the pipe. Typically, oh, the hand crank one, you get one that's either 15 or 25 feet long, somewhere okay. in that range. If that's not long enough, then you need to, you're at the point where you would need to call a plumber to come out with a regular snake and clean out the line. Oh, I see. So this is pretty much in the wall. Yes. Yeah, that, oh, okay. pipe that, that pipe that runs into the wall, you feed the cable into that hole. I see. Okay. Into that pipe. Okay, but it's nothing to do with the disposal. No, I don't think it's a disposal problem at all. Because if it, yeah, I if can it, hear it running. Yeah, if it's running and the other side is holding water, that yes. tells me that it's it's not in the disposal. It's, it's in the, the pipe itself. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You bet. Sir. Take care, okay, Barry. Bye-bye. And again, our number is 713-212-5874. And I did mess up on one thing. The garbage disposal feeds over to the other sink, and then it goes down through the P-trap. I kind of said that backwards, but that is the way it runs. Take the P-trap and everything apart, clean it out first, and then run the snake through where the pipe goes into the wall. Rick, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, uh, Jim, I'm going to do the uh, tile in the house and on the first floor, and I'm uh, wanting to take out the uh, the uh, linoleum. And what's the easiest way to take that out? Oh, the easy way is to hire somebody else to do it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, now, what really it's going to take is it'll depend on how it was put down. Some of the newer linoleums, they actually only glue on the outer edges. Now, most of them are still glued throughout the whole floor. And you literally have to just scrape it up. The surface is a plastic, so, you know, putting water on it and trying to let it soak in doesn't do any good. You have to get that off. But after you've got the surface scraped off, what you're left with is a glue with paper on top of it. And you can put water on that, let it soak a little bit. It'll soften up and then scrape it some more to get it off. Okay. Uh, one thing, I had this house built in uh, 2006 from ground up. So okay. So that, that would give you an idea whether it was glued all the way or just on the outer surface. Yeah, my guess is it's still glued all the way because most of the floors are. Okay. Uh, uh, I did have a problem when I first moved in. There was a... Uh, uh, in our master bedroom, uh, uh, master bathroom, uh-huh. there was uh, a little bitty dip in it, like uh, they didn't float it right or something wrong with the concrete. And I was actually there and left only for about, I don't know, about a couple of hours uh, and came back. 
and they had already literally finished it. Yep. So it might not be then glued all the way, like you said. Uh, well, it, no, it, it, it literally can go that fast. It, it's really yeah. not that tough to scrape it up. Uh, what do you think about, say, a Home Depot Lowe's that you got one of these, it's not jackhammers, but it's a, a automatic with the scraper, and it goes back and forth real quick? Yeah, that, that's for taking up tile. Uh, it oh. really won't do much for you on the linoleum. Okay, okay. Okay. The linoleum, you're typically just using a hand scraper. And uh, realistically, to do like a kitchen, right? Uh, you'll have a kitchen pulled out in less than 30 minutes. Really? Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually pretty fast. So just a hand scraper? Yep. Okay. I appreciate now, that. It, it, no, it's a hand scraper with a long handle on it, but it's just a floor scraper. Okay, so where would I get that at? Uh, you can get it at any box store, uh, uh, Ace Hardware, Floor and Decor. Any place that has flooring-type stuff will have it. Okay, I appreciate now one, that. Now, I will tell you, one, one quick tip that helps you with this. Yes. Get you a metal file as well. And because those, those floor scrapers have a little bit of an edge on them, but as you use them, that edge will round. Right. And if you'll take that metal file and just keep a good edge on that scraper, it does a much quicker and easier job getting that floor up. Got it. Got it. All right. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Take care, Rick. All right. Bye. Bye. Out here in uh, Dallas Market Hall at the Texas Home and Garden Show, and I had a guy come up a minute ago while we were just on this news break asking me about insulation. His house was built in 1947, He's got the wool-type insulation in there, and he was wondering if he needs to be worried about asbestos. And on residential insulation, uh, I have never heard of any asbestos being used that you need to be worried about. On commercial, they use asbestos for wrapping pipes and different things like that, and that's the reason there's such a problem with commercial buildings. It was more of a fire retardant than than it was anything else. So... If you've got the wool, the fiberglass, any of those type of insulations, nah, you don't need to worry about asbestos. What we do get concerned with on insulation, uh, like on fiberglass insulation, for instance, is the formaldehyde that they used to put into some of it. So if you're buying fiberglass insulation to put into your house, try to get the formaldehyde free. And, uh, you know, you'll really notice the difference in the odor of the insulation when you purchase it but uh you know that that's the only insulation issues that i know of on residential other than the fact that the wool and the anything other than fiberglass as it ages tends to turn to dust and you know that that can become an issue but as far as asbestos nah don't worry about it all right i get quite a few emails questions and stuff but one of them that came in i'm pretty sure i need a sewer line repair i snaked it last week with a rental unit and it cleared but it's already starting to back up again i need a reliable plumber that will service the area Uh, something about okay let me see that can give me options for trenching pipe bursting and pipe lining and uh Okay, first of all, 
just because you ran a snake through and you cleared it temporary doesn't mean that you necessarily have to replace the line. Now, it does indicate that you've got a pretty major problem with the line. In that, that usually is an indication that there's a solid plug or tree roots getting into it. Depending on the age of the pipe, you know, if you're dealing with the old clay pipe, the old cast iron pipe and stuff, uh, the whole pipe could be shot. If you're dealing with PVC, typically it's going to be just an isolated break normally. Not always, but normally. So the first thing you normally would do before making the call to replace the pipe is run a snake through that chews it up. Normally the ones that you rent got a smaller head on the end of the cable. And so it'll punch a hole through whatever's blocking it. You know, whether it's a, you know, piled up toilet paper or tree roots or whatever. It'll normally get a hole through, the water drains out, and you think it's cleared up. And a week later, you got this problem reappearing. When a plumber comes out, he'll usually have a cutter head that he can put onto his snake. And that usually looks like a big jaw-type thing that spins around. Uh, when it goes through, it's cutting through all the stuff, opening the entire pipe. So you'll have longer to deal with whatever you're problem you're having. Secondary thing then is to run a camera through the pipe if you're thinking it's tree roots and things like that and the camera can see is it tree roots. Do we have a big major break or is it isolated? And most cameras, in fact pretty much all of them nowadays, also track how far up the pipe it's going. And so the plumber can follow that with a line locator, find out exactly where the break is, and instead of having to necessarily replace the whole line, they can dig down and fix just the break. Again, it all depends on what the situation is, though. Like if you come out here to Market Hall, Due West has a cast iron pipe section laying here where it's just all rotted out. That happens with the cast iron pipes. So there, there are uh, many ways that you need to go through and many things to look at prior to just making the assumption, hey, let's replace the line. Because let's face it, that kind of work gets expensive. Gary, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Thank you, sir. Um, I have a standard two-car detached garage, and some of the uh, studs in the garage have been damaged due to water damage and termite damage. I'm going to have a carpenter uh, replace some of them. For the best long-term protection from termites and decay, would you recommend pressure-treated lumber or cedar? Neither. Pardon? I, I wouldn't recommend either one. E either one? Nope. And, and here's why. Now, on the sill plate itself, you know, the board that lays down on top of the concrete, I would go with the pressure treated. Okay. But on your studs themselves, just go with a standard stud. Uh, how old a house is it? Uh, it was built in 54. Mm. Which year? What year? 54. Okay. So, you know, we're talking 60 plus years that it lasted. Yes. Using regular lumber. As long as you keep the bugs away, the termites away, and you keep the building sealed in from water, you won't have any problems with it. 
what happens to most buildings, what causes these problems is one, they start leaking, we don't take care of the leaks, moisture gets there, that attracts the termites, and then we start having the wood rot and the termite combination. So the key thing is to keep the building dry. And as long as that happens, you typically won't have the termite problem, won't have the, you definitely won't have the rot problem, and there's not a reason to spend that extra money on treated lumber or the cedar. Now the secondary reason I'd say I say neither though, the new treated lumber that we use, it eats away at our nails and fasteners. You know, it used to be the materials we use, you, you, you nail them together, it would basically last forever. But because of the way it eats away at the fasteners, you will actually have a wall like that last longer using standard 2x4 studs than you would with treated lumber. Well, I've, I've, I've already got the uh, uh, stainless steel connectors and the stainless steel nails on, uh -huh. on the site. So uh, I was just, you know, wondering. If, if you want to go with something other than a standard 2x4, go with the treated. And the main reason for that is the treated will outdo the cedar when it starts getting, if it starts getting wet or, and it will definitely help repeal, repel rather, uh, you know, termites and things like that. So yeah, if you want to go with something that's other than a standard two by four, then I would go with treated. But I, I will tell you up front, if it was my place, I would be using standard lumber. Okay. Very good, Jim. I appreciate your help. You bet, Gary. Take care. Bye-bye. Now we're getting ready to get into air conditioning season and had an interesting email come in. After 18 years, my condenser and furnace are dying. I've read so many reviews on HVAC companies and models sticking to an A-plus BBB rated company, but still cautious because their price was two to $3,000 below other estimates. Read consumer reports on equipment, dealers in good standing. Uh, as an authorized dealer, I called the local regional office to confirm they did no load calculation like other bidders, but assumed that when house built in 94, it was configured properly for a five-ton unit, same as old unit. They are not members of ACA, saying you have to buy your way into them, so we passed. They do carry $2 million in workers' comp. Each of four bids listed that they would replace, but it varied by company. For example, is it necessary to flush the refrigeration lines with RX-11 if my present system uses the old Freon and the new unit uses the new Freon? This company's response was no. They said the small amount of oil left after cleaning lines with nitrogen would not hurt new system. Is that right? Here are links to the company BBB rating and Kudzo rating. My thinking is that I'll let them install new equipment to save money, then use another dealer that I trust here in Keller area to do my service. Sorry for the long explanation, Frank. Wow. Okay. Let me help you out here real quick. An air conditioner is an air conditioner, right? It is. It comes off an assembly line. So one unit of the same brand should be the same as the next unit of the same brand. The only thing on an air conditioning unit that's going to make any difference to you is how that unit's installed. 
A poorly installed unit will never be as efficient as a well-installed unit. And the things that make a huge difference, one is the ductwork. Two is the load calculations. Three, did they clean those lines? And let me tell you, most AC guys, when they go from the old coolant to the new, are putting in new lines. Now, you don't have to always, but most of the time, they do put in new copper lines for it. As far as not doing a load calculation, that's a huge no-no. You do not assume that the builder knew what he was doing, because I will tell you up front, 99% of the time, the builder's undersized. They go with the absolute minimum that you can put in and still pass inspections and stuff. Is that really what you want in your house? It's the absolute minimum. So when it hits 105, you can't get the house down below 85 because that's when they come back and tell you, well, the system was only designed to drop the temperature 15 or 20 degrees. That $2,000 or $3,000 difference can mean the difference for the next, like in this case, 18 years of comfort. And having somebody else service it is not going to make the system better. Because if the system was put in wrong and they've got to start making adjustments, say the plenum has to have some adjustments because uh, it wasn't laid out properly for the pipes going out for the, uh, the return air. That's all going to be added on top. And by the time you're done, you would have saved money hiring the other guy to do the install. Typically, when you're having a unit serviced, really what they're doing is they're coming out and cleaning coils, they're checking levels, they're checking the electrics and, and things like that. Almost anyone is able to do that for you. And I, I'm going to be up front. I own an AC company in Houston. AC companies make their money putting new units in. They service units because they want to build you as a client for the next 12, 15, 20 years so that when it comes time for you to put in a new unit, you hire them to put in a new unit. And when you go and hire the dirt cheapest guy you can find to put in the unit, you took away that service company's really their profit on dealing with you. Because when they go out and do a service call for $100, we'll say. Some are $79, some are $119. So we're going to round up $100. You got to take into account there's a truck on the road that has to be insured. There's fuel in that truck. And they're having to pay the guy an hourly wage to go out there and service your unit. The money an AC company makes is on installs. And I know a lot of AC companies won't tell you that, but that is the facts of life. That is the way it is. The install is what makes the difference on how well a unit works. And let me tell you, it can make a 20 to 30% efficiency difference on a unit if they're not doing everything properly and as far as cleaning out the the pipe if you're going to reuse the same copper lines uh, if they're doing it properly with the nitrogen and stuff there shouldn't be any oil left in there I personally would not hire this company to do the work for me and I'll tell you the main reason I wouldn't if they didn't check the size of the unit with a load calculation, a heat load calculation, because you could have changed the house in the time that you've, you know, had this unit in there. Added insulation, changed out the windows for more efficient windows. Uh, added a room. Added a sliding glass door. Uh, there's many things in a house that can change 
that change that load calculation. And not only should the AC unit be calculated for the load, but the ductwork should be checked to make sure it's properly sized. Because again, builders are notorious for undersizing the ductwork. And you know, I say the builders, it's the cheap AC companies that they hire and you're, you're getting ready to make the same mistake. Anyways, that's my two cents on hiring the NAC company. Now, as far as checking them out, hey, you bet, check with the BBB, make sure that they don't have a bunch of unanswered complaints and stuff like that. ACA is an air conditioning uh, association. I will tell you, not everybody belongs to it. They probably should, but they don't because that's how you keep up with what's changing in the industry and help make those changes. And not doing those low calculations tells me this company is not keeping up with the changes because that's pretty much mandatory now. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.